9. Hebrews chapter 9. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. A couple up here. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this gathering, Lord, for drawing us in here, for, Lord, just the privilege of opening up your word and reading and receiving. And, Lord, the world is just so filled with shades of gray when it comes to truth, and yet we have here black and white. And Lord, that's what we need. Father, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this room. Lord, they all come from just a multitude of, of different experiences, of, of trials, of sorrows, and great joys, of victories, Lord, and, and of, of, of defeats, Lord. And we thank you that we can gather here, Lord, and no matter where we're coming from, you can take us to a place, Lord, of encouragement, of exhortation, of warning, of joy, of, of peace, Lord. And your word says that there is a rest that is available to the people of God. And I pray that you bring us to that rest this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, Hebrews chapter 9, speaking of the, in verse 12, it says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, and you, if you're here visiting for the first time, you may be wondering, uh, what on earth have I gotten myself into? The blood of bulls and goats? The ashes of a heifer? What's all that about? What's a heifer? A heifer is a female cow. And what are you talking about a female cow about on Sunday morning? And what about, why are you talking about the ashes? Of a female cow. Well, you can relax, I promise. It'll all work out. We've been actually going, we don't, I don't go right to this verse and wake up in the morning and say, you know, I just want to talk about blood of goats and calves. No, we're going through Hebrews uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We left off on these verses last week. And really, there is so much to learn from every bit of the Word of God. This letter written to the Hebrews to Jews who had become Christians. And these Jews would have been very familiar with what the writer was talking about. In the Old Testament, uh, the Jews, in accordance with the law given to God, given by God to Moses, uh, they uh, would offer sacrifices of animals, of, including bulls and goats and lambs, as sacrifice uh, for their sins. The sacrifice would only be given in one place in the world. That was Jerusalem, at the temple. And the, these sacrifices were a reminder to the people of the consequence of their sin, which was, what the Bible says, is death. 
Sin leads to death. God said to Adam in the first few chapters of Genesis, in the, in the day that you eat of the fruit, in the day that you uh, uh, choose to reject me and my word, you will surely die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And in the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices were a reminder of that. And we read there in verse 13 about the ashes of a heifer, the ashes of a female bull. What's that about? Well, a heifer was one of the animal sacrifices, and the heifer was offered as a burnt offering, and a burnt offering was entirely consumed, all of it, and the ashes of the heifer were gathered and they would actually be used to put in the water that was used for baptisms and, and, uh, and washings. And it just symbolized the uh, sort of the cleansing of the water. And today we learn in the New Testament we're washed in the water of the Word. And that was one of the Old Testament signs of what was to, of the good things to come. Um, as it talks about uh, in verse 11, that, uh, that uh, Jesus was, uh, uh, came as a high priest of the good things to come. In the past, there had been symbols, and he brought in the reality. So all these things, the blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of the heifer, these animal sacrifices, they're foreshadowings, they are forerunners, they are... Uh, Signs, representations of the perfect sacrifice that Jesus was to make for your sins and for mine. Now the Jews who were receiving this letter had great reverence for these things, a great respect for these traditions. Blood of bulls and goats, ashes of a heifer. And however strange they may seem to us, they were very respected by the people receiving this letter. But these Hebrews who had come to Christ had known that there was no comparing those things, the blood of bulls and goats, uh, to the blood of the Son of God. But they were in a season of discouragement. The writer's encouraging them. Remember. Don't forget. Verse 13, he says, If the blood of the bulls and of the goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified for the purifying of the flesh, meaning if those things covered your sin. Verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot or blemish to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, those, the blood of goats and bulls may have covered your sin, but the blood of Christ cleansed you, purged you, took away your sin. And he's, he's reminding them of that. But the context here in verse 14 is so important. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he offer himself through the eternal spirit? Why was his blood offered? To cleanse their conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And that's where we left off last week. Just about the joy. Just about the, the, the privilege, the adventure it is to serve God. To live for him. To sow, to plant, to, uh, by your words, by your life, into the lives of others. Being a mom and dad uh, 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 and sowing Christ into your kids. Sowing Jesus Christ into your workplace. Sowing Jesus Christ into the families, into your family, your extended families. Into your neighborhoods and your schools. Serving the living God. Sowing Christ in your church. You're at church. Investing in the Lord and then reaping the harvest. There's no joy like that. Serving the living God. 
Brothers and sisters, please, please don't wait to the end of your life only to look back and say, what a waste. Why didn't I serve God? Why didn't I serve Him? I look at the average American. In their day, year after year after year, they wake up, they eat, they work, they eat, they watch TV, they go to bed. They wake up, they eat, they go to work, they eat again, they watch TV and go to bed. They wake up, they eat, they go to work. They eat, they watch TV and go to bed. Now some of them throw in uh, the workout thing. So it's wake up, work out, eat, work, eat, watch TV and go to bed. And you you know, wake up, work out, eat, work, eat, watch TV. And to sound like a robot, it is like a robot. What are you living for? What are you living for? Really? I read this article. I'm going to share a little bit with you. And just a picture of the things that Americans live for. There's a picture here of a man. He's on top of a mountain. It's 82-year-old Paul Shipper, the Iron Man. It says, an an 82-year-old Maine skier, that is a skier from Maine, who obsessively hit the slopes every day of the season for more than 24, has called it quits. Paul Shipper started in 1980 and ended this season after 3,903 days. He stopped because of a bout with the flu. Shipper's exploits are the stuff of legend at Sugarloaf, USA, where the cockamamie idea of skiing every day was hatched while he and some friends were relaxing in the ski lodge. Shipper and others vowed to try to do it. A year later, Shipper was the only one to achieve the goal, having skied all 174 days in the 1980-1981 season. From there, it became the retired airline pilot's obsession. Over the years, he skied through blizzards, sickness, and pain. In 1987, he traveled to the top of the mountain in a ski-grooming machine at midnight so he could ski down before driving seven and a half hours to Poughkeepsie, New York... For his son's graduation, he was back on the slopes the next day. In 1993, he delayed the removal of a cancerous kidney to keep the streak alive. In 1995, he underwent bypass heart surgery in the off-season. Both times, he was back on the slopes when the snow began to fall. In 1997, a collision with a snowboarder nearly sidelined him, but a doctor created a special cast for his broken thumb. Entering the new millennium, Ms. Shipper's eyesight became the biggest obstacle to maintaining the streak. He suffers from macular degeneration and glaucoma, and his death perception suffered despite uh, prescription ski goggles. Nonetheless, he talked about shooting for 4,000 days, which would have happened next month, but some uh, privately worried about him. I got the feeling that he was a prisoner to it. Uh, Finally, uh, about a flu stopped him. Sugarloaf is planning a a celebration in honor of Shipper, and officials plan to submit paperwork to the publisher of Guinness World Records for longest-running skiing streak. I read this and I ask, what a tragic tale. Only it's not a tale. It's a real life story played out in so many ways in this country. People somehow desperately trying just to make a mark on the world, however foolish it may be. Men and women who have missed the glorious life God has for them while they pursued some utterly meaningless Foolish goal. 
Second Corinthians 5.15 says this, Jesus died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. I don't know about you, but I want my legacy. I want the fruit of my life, my gift to the next generation of Jesus tarries, my gift to God to be serving him, serving the Lord. serving the living God. So with that in mind, verse 14 is a very important verse because ver verse 14 uh, shows us something, it teaches us something that will hinder us, that will prevent us from serving God. It will prevent a Christian from ever really becoming what God wants them to be through serving Him. Verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now what does that tell me? That tells me that if my conscience is dirty, if your conscience is dirty, if you're hanging on to guilt, that you will be inhibited, you'll be hindered, and you may even be prevented altogether from ever serving God. Guilt blocks people from serving God. Guilt blocks Christians from serving God. Christians who have walked with God for 20 years, 30 years, will be kept back, will have this sort of ball and chain around their feet preventing them from serving God. David in the Psalms speaks about this guilt. In Psalm 38, he cries out, O Lord, my iniquities, my sin have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. I am like a deaf man who does not hear, a mute man who does not open his mouth. Now, how is anyone supposed to serve God in that condition? So guilty they can't hear. So guilty they can't open their mouth. Have you ever been there? Where there's just th this, this thing in your life, this thorn, and where you know that, you know, what you've done or, 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 or this, the lifestyle that you've led is just, oh, you can't even speak, you can't even hear. David says, I, my guilt is over my head. I am a deaf man who does not hear, a mute man who does not open his mouth. Oh, how true that is. Guilt, it is a burden we cannot carry. It closes our ears to hearing, our mouths to talking. And, you know, the last thing in the world that we want to do when we're carrying around guilt, whether it's murdering someone or just yelling at a car that cut you off this morning. The last thing you want to do is serve God, teach a Sunday school, greet people with a smile, teach a Bible study, get in a pulpit and teach a sermon. This is the last thing you want to do. How can I serve God when I have done that thing? How can I serve God when I have lived that way, uh, the way I have for so long? Sure, I haven't lived like that for five years, but I, di I did it for ten. I was in that lifestyle. How can I serve God that way? Your dirty conscience, your unclean conscience is preventing you, verse 14, from serving the living God. Maybe it's more subtle with you. Maybe you look at, up at, uh, at me here serving God here in the pulpit. 
or you looked at someone on the worship team uh, before the service, or a Sunday school teacher, or an usher. And there's a voice inside of you saying they're different. They are just different from me. He's different. She's different. I'm just not like them. I know that voice because I used to hear that voice myself. Steve, you can't do what they do. You're different. You're cut out of a, a different cookie cutter. Does that describe how you feel this morning? If it does, let me tell you that there is something behind that feeling. It's guilt. You're not an axe murderer, you're not a bank robber, you're not a thief, but you know you've never lived for God. The life you've led has had very little to do really with Him. You've honored Him with your lips, but not your life. And it's been like that for so long, or it was like that for so long, you just feel different. I'm not like them. I'm I'm not like him, her. I never will be. Let me tell you, you've got a guilt thing going on. Guilt will prevent you from serving the living God. God has a much different life in store for you. A life, believe it or not, in which you're not thinking you're different. A life in which you feel clean and pure and loved, and free to serve God. You have a choice to make. You can either believe your feelings, or you can believe the Word of God, which promises that your life can be that way, can become that way. Verse 14 again, says, Jesus, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God to cleanse your conscience from dead works. Dead works. What are dead works? Dead works is what people do to deal with their guilt. Dead works. Doing stuff to appease your conscience. Doing stuff to appease God. People hate guilt. Guilt spoils the party. My whole life I've grown up in summers in the Cape. And, you know, the Cape is great till about 6 o'clock at night when you're, or not not 6, about 7 or 8, actually, when it starts turning dark and you're right right on next to the ocean. What happens? What happens when that happens? Gnats. Guilt or, guilt's like those gnats. Like, get off of me. Come on, get off. No matter what you do, you know, those things are just going to be hounding you. Get away, please. And, and, and people do all kinds of things to try to get it out of their life. And many of the things are usually associated with something good. They'll go to church. They go to Mass every morning. They get extremely busy at church. They go on pilgrimages. I was talking to a guy this week. He's going to go to Mecca. And he's convinced he's going to feel really, really good after he gets back. It's all about working off guilt. Prayers, reading the Bible, feeding the homeless, giving money away, offering sacrifices, lighting candles, being really, really, really nice to people. Dead works. Anything that you do for the purpose of working off your guilt. The Bible says there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. No work to work off your guilt. Impossible. Never happened. People have been trying for thousands of years. If I was to list off everything that people do, the list wouldn't even fill this room. 
to work off their guilt. Hebrews 9.14 says they're dead works. Why? Why? There's a couple of reasons. One, again, already said it. None of them will ever work off the guilt. In fact, the guilt may get worse. You know, one of the things with, with dead works is dead works, it's all about repeating things. You know, you, you, you want to work off guilt. And so you say a prayer like over and over and over again. Or um, there's a woman who lives right next to me. And man, she's, the woman's in mass every morning. I start my Bible study. Your little car's going, coming home for mass. I'm you know, looking out the window, and it really, it's a tragic scene. It, 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 it hurts me to see this day after day after day, or some religious service week after week after week. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, speaking of dead works, with these same sacrifices which they, they offer continually year after year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. Some translations actually use the word guilt there. In other words, if these religious things that are done over and over and over again could have done anything for guilt, the people would have stopped doing them. They never did. Instead, the guilt, it, it was actually a reminder of guilt. Verse 3, chapter 10 says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And oftentimes, this is the, tru- this is the truth. You speak to a, a, a person who's been trying to work off guilt for years and years and years, and oftentimes what you hear is, it just gets worse. It just gets more embedded in my life. Hebrews 9.14 says, The blood of Jesus, and only the blood of Jesus, will cleanse your conscience and cleanse your guilt. That's why dead works never work. Because there's only one thing that has the value and the power that God has set aside to deal with your guilt. Hebrews 9.22 says, this is a famous verse, without the shedding of blood there is no remission or no cleansing of sin, no cleansing of guilt. without the shedding of blood. And we know, again, from verse 14, it's not just anyone's blood. It's not the blood of a bull or a goat or, or a, human, another, a human being who dies in battle for his country or whatever, which cleanses guilt, which silences that inner voice that says there is something I must do. There's a dead work I must do to deal with my guilt. It's only the blood of Jesus. First John two, uh, 1 John 1.7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 Peter 1.19 says this, it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, you are living in Boston in the year 2009. And one thing that you will hear as you're sharing your faith and living out your faith here in this city, which is an objection to your faith, which really is not an old objection at all. It's been around for 2,000 years. In fact, I was just... Uh, reading something about this objection being brought up 150 years ago somewhere in England. But you will hear people say, doubters, mockers, cynics, sometimes even people from a pulpit. Why do you talk about the blood of Jesus? What's up with this bloody faith of yours? 
Why do you talk about Jesus having to die in your place? We, we like the example of Jesus' life, his wisdom. We like Jesus' teachings, his love for the poor and the outcast. We don't talk about the blood of Jesus. That's not modern. It's not a progressive way of thinking. Why do you speak of this need for Jesus to die for your sins? God is love. God is generous. He's gracious. He's God. He can just say, sin's forgiven. doesn't need someone to die for sins. doesn't need his son to die for sins. You see all that sin over there? Poof. Forgiven. I'll forget about it. Don't worry about it. He's God. He can do that. There's no need for the cross. You hear these things in Boston in 2009. But listen, if people really understood sin, they would never say these things. If they understood the depth of their sin, how deeply evil and wicked the sin is. If they understood the exceedingly great crime, our sin, our stubborn rebellion against God and His Word is against God, they would not ask these questions. If they understood how far-reaching, how profound, how devastating a sin has been in this world, they wouldn't ask these questions. If they understood how Holy, how white hot holy our Lord is. They wouldn't be saying these things. My kids and I watched a movie about India in which young boys living in the slums of India, Mumbai, is that it? Bombay, were stolen, blinded, acid poured into their eyes and then put out on the streets to beg. This is a reality in India. Because blind young beggars make more money. Young girls kidnapped, forced into prostitution, contracting AIDS at a young age. This is real, brothers and sisters. And God is holy. Does he look at that and say, no justice is necessary? The thought is inconceivable. Someone may say, well, those things are unspeakably wicked and evil, but there are some things that God won't forgive. He, doesn't, he can choose to forgive some and not others. No, Really? Well, consider the case of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader in the late 1700s. He captained a slave trip, uh, uh, a slave ship, rather, among other things. And really, what is going on in the slums of India pales in comparisons to what happened on slave ships in the 16 and 1700s. Five to six hundred slaves would be literally packed under the decks of slave ships. Now, when you see slave, when you think of the word ship, uh, don't think of like the Elizabeth II, some big cruise line. Think of that little boat, the Mayflower, that you see when you go down to Plymouth. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's like, wow, that's it? That's the Mayflower? That's about how big the slave ships were. And they packed five to 600 human beings underneath the deck in multiple floors. These floors were about three feet high. Like this, three feet high. And they packed them in. They had to sit down with their knees up in each other's, basically up, you know, in each other's laps. They couldn't stand up and they couldn't lie down. They were branded before they got on the ships. Uh, by one account, uh, as many as eight million Africans may have died in order to bring four million to the Caribbean. 
John Newton was one of those slave traders. You know, the crimes he committed were just inconceivable. He was the one in charge of this. I mean, you talk about a man who would uh, walk into a church at the time or see a Christian and say, I'll never be like them. I could never be like them. They're just different now. You talk about a man who deserved the swiftest, cruelest public death sentence. Talk about a man who had, could not work off his guild in a thousand lifetimes. But when all seemed lost, he heard the word of God. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. He called upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says in Romans 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He went on to write Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, a hymn, sung more times by more people than any other hymn. In fact, second place in the hymn world is so incredibly far behind. A song that's been sung tens of millions of times. Tens of thousands of times every day in this world. Written by a man whose crimes so greatly exceeded what's happening in the slums of India. How can you serve God with joy if you have a guilty conscience, a conscience that is screaming at you that you have to perform a thousand different things for God to forgive you? You can't. That's why verse 14 says your, cleanse, your conscience must be cleansed from dead works. All the works that your mind is screaming out, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this for God to forgive you. There's only one thing that has ever freed anyone up to serve God, and that is the blood of Christ. No other thing has cleansed the human conscience from dead works to serve the living God. No other thing has freed men or women from the burden of guilt than the cross of, of Christ. There's just something that happens when a man or woman who knows they're guilty and knows they can't work out the guilt, when they realized the Son of God died from when they realized the value of that blood that poured out. That's why, gave, that's why Jesus gave us communion. We'll be celebrating communion tonight. Please join us if you can. But that's why Jesus said, when, whenever you eat this bread and drink the, this cup, remember, remember. Remember the value of the blood that was poured out. On the cross. First Peter 1.8 says this. Though now you do not see Jesus. Yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith. The salvation of your souls. John Newton wrote in Amazing Grace. How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed. Oh, what happens in the human heart when it understands the value of the blood of Christ. How about you? If there's anybody in here who, if, you, if, you're, if you're sitting here today and you've never come to the place in your life where you've recognized and understood that there's nothing that you can do to deserve heaven. Nothing that you can do to deserve a relationship with God. There's nothing you could do in this lifetime or any other lifetime to work off 
which your conscience has been telling you, you know you've fallen short of the grace of God because of what you've done. The Bible says that salvation, we receive it by a simple prayer of faith. We pray to the Lord. God, take over. Lord Jesus, take over the throne of my life. I've been on my own throne my whole life. Been doing dead works. I've been going to church a lot during my life. I've always thought you were my friend, but, you know, whenever it came to my will and your will, it was always mine. I've tried to work off the guilt I tried to work my way in to heaven. I, I realize I can't do that. Your word promised me, promises me that, that I can have that by just asking you in my heart, believing what you've done. Come in and cleanse me. Make me new. Make me the person, the man or woman that, uh, that Pastor Steve described today, someone who actually can think and believe I'm pure, I'm cleansed, I'm free. I'm holy. The Bible says that every man or woman who gives their life to Jesus Christ is a saint, which means a holy one. Not based on anything they've ever done, but because on God putting his holiness, the holiness of Christ on you. If you've never asked Jesus to put that holiness on you, to come into your life, to save you, please, after the service, there'll be people up here to pray it's a simple prayer of faith. Jesus, the Son of God. I was in New York this week, and I have uh, sort of made a commitment. I'm scared to make commitments because, you know, you make those promises to God and just flesh out. and You want to break in the promises, but they, they have... Um, it's been working out pretty good. I've just basically committed in my heart, when I get in a, to a taxi, I'm going to tell this taxi driver about Jesus, period. And this week went real well. I was in three taxis, talked to all of them about Jesus. And the great part about it is that most of them really enjoy it. I, I have to say, only one or two were, you know, was it, was it awkward. And uh, it's real easy. I get into the taxi cab. Very rarely are they from the United States. So I say, so where are you from? Well, I'm from Egypt. So in Egypt, do they believe in Jesus? And usually they say yes. They're uh, from, one guy was from India. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Uh, do, you believe, do they believe in Jesus in India? Yes. Wherever they're from, they all, they all believe in Jesus, taxi drivers. Some about those guys. <laughs> and... But then I say, but how about you? What do you think about Jesus? And so in New York, it was on an, one of the long taxi rides from the airport. to No, actually, it was from downtown to the airport. This guy was a Muslim. He was from, uh, from Egypt. He Actually, he, I said, where are you from? He goes, guess. I said, Jordan. He goes, you're really close. And I said, Iraq, no, I'm from Egypt. So he was from Egypt, and he told me he was, uh, he was Muslim, and, and uh, they do believe in Jesus, that he was a prophet. And that's the first thing usually a Muslim person will tell you. They believe in Jesus. He's a prophet. And then I asked him, well, how do you get into heaven? And, and he gave a very typical response. It's by trying my best and uh, trying my best. And I said, well, can you know you can ever uh, get into heaven? And he said, well, no, you can never know for sure. And I said, well, what happens when you try your best and you fail? And he goes, well, you just get up and you try again. You try your best. And then when you fail, you try again. And, and so, um, actually, he was really a, a wonderful man. I very much enjoyed talking to him, and I respected uh, him. Uh, and, and because he actually shared some things with me that were pretty intense. But, um, uh, but I, I talked to him, but, but what about you, your sin? What's going to happen to it? 
And, and, and I, I went on to, I said, you know, the payment for sin is death. The Bible's very clear about that because Muslims, they respect the Bible. They call all people who respect the, respect the Bible the people of the book. And so um, what about your sin, though? The Bible says over and over that the payment for sin is death. It's death. I just kept on coming back to this. And that, um, uh, that, Jesus, that either I choose to die and pay the penalty for my own sin, or I can believe that Jesus died for me, and I can accept that he died for me, and therefore I do not have to die. This is what Jesus says. He says, you believe in me, you will pass from death to life. I don't have to die. And sort of at the very end, he just threw up his, his hands. He goes, I don't believe in what you're saying. Life isn't like that. You don't get to take advantage of what someone else does for you. You have to do it yourself. And the last thing I said to him is that, you know, well, that's where Jesus being the Son of God comes into play because they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I said, because you're right. I can't rely on what anyone else does for me. I can't rely on my dad being a Christian or being born in a Christian family or someone else doing a good work for me or whatever. I didn't go into all the detail. I just said, I, you're right, I can't rely. No one can rely on what someone else does for you, but you can rely on what God does for you. And that is why it's important that Jesus is the Son of God. First Peter 1.19 says, It was not with per- perishable things that you were saved, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Let's pray. The worship team, please come up. Father, I thank you Your word says that you looked over the whole earth to see if there was one who could save, who could bring salvation. And you said there's no one, so my own arm will work salvation. Lord, your own arm works salvation for us. It was you It was your son. It was you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord, that you didn't consider it, as the Bible says, something to hold on to living in heaven, but you made yourself nothing. You came to earth, took the form of a man, you died for us. But it didn't end there. You were raised again to life and you now pour out your life on us, Lord. We thank you for that. Father, I know that you don't want any of us to stay in the place we're at today. You want a greater, more abundant life. You want us to serve you. You want our consciences cleaned, our guilt purged, taken away so that we can be freed up to serve you. I just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would do that very thing with every man and woman and child sitting here today, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would just bring enormous clarity. Just make it very clear in the minds of every man and woman here, Lord. That salvation is free. It's free because of the blood of the Lamb. It's free because of the death and resurrection of your Son, Lord. Father, by your grace, Pray that we would walk in newness of life and in that grace and that in the power of that wonderful 
message this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please rise. We're going to close with a worship song. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing, you swore out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place once again. Oh, and I'm in that place once again. Sing once again. Once again I look upon the cross where you died Humble by your mercy and I'm broken inside And once again I thank you And once again I pour out my life So now you are exalted Lord And now you are exalted to the highest place of the heavens where one day I'll bow but for now I marvel at your saving grace and I'm full of praise once again oh and I'm full of praise once again sing once again I look low and once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humble Yes, once again I thank you. Yes, once again I pour out my life. Again, once again, Lord. Once again I look upon the cross where you died. And I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Yes, once again I thank you. And once again I pour out my life. Thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross, my friend. And I thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross, my friend. And I thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. We will thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross, my friend. Amen. Okay, God bless you as you're dismissed. Uh, Again, there's two people that will be up front uh, if you'd like prayer right here.